Welcome to the Eighth Circle of Hell. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast in which we have walked over the course of over a hundred episodes and a year through half of Inferno, and we are about to enter the largest part of hell itself, the Circle of Fraud. If you don't know exactly where we are in this podcast, you are welcome to drop right in here with us amongst the fraudsters, or at least the front of them. We're going to be with them for a long time but it would be best to go back and catch up, although it is a daunting task. We're going on Canto 18, lines 1 through 21 of Dante's masterwork, Comedy. There's a specific spot in hell called the Evil Pouches. All the rocks are the color of iron, just like the circle that closes it all inside. At the exact center of this malignant campo, a very large and deep pit gapes wide. I'll talk about its design, suo loco. The part that remains, this belt, is round and runs between the pit and the foot of the high hard cliff, its ground is divided into ten valleys, like that spot where, to guard the walls, more and more moats are dug around a castle so that all those rings form a pattern. Well, that's how these rings were fashioned. And just as from the doorstep of a castle, little bridges run out to reach the farthest embankment, so reef-like ridges ran from the base of the cliff on down across the banks and ditches until they came to the pit and joined up together. In just this locale, where Garion shook us off his back, we found ourselves. The poet then held to a leftward course and I followed behind him. Okay, that's the bit about the Eighth Circle of Hell. Let's start it off by talking about the word used for the Eighth Circle and then look at the passage itself. The first line of the 18th canto is there's a specific spot in hell called the evil pouches. This word, evil pouches, is a Dantian neologism. What do I mean by that? A neologism, a new word, a word that Dante coined for this part. The word in the medieval Florentine is malabolge, bad or evil pouches or pockets. Bad pouches. I translated it evil pouches because frankly, that just sounded nastier. And we should think for a second about this word malebolge. First of all, it calls us back to the usurers. Remember sitting there on the edge of the cliff before we descended on Garion's back with the pilgrim and his guide, the usurers were sitting there with their money bags or pouches around their necks. And that pouch that sits around the usurers' necks is linked in some way to this. And we should know that fraud is going to often involve money. We're going to start with a scene of turning people into money, and we're going to end fraud 
all the way out at the back in scenes of counterfeiting. Money dominates the eighth circle of hell, as you would expect it would with fraud. But to get here about fraud, let's think back to Virgil's map of hell. When Virgil was mapping out hell in the 11th canto of Inferno, remember they stop to try to get used to the stink, and while they're sitting there waiting to get used to the smell of lower hell, Virgil says we might as well not waste time, we might as well have a lesson on the geography. And Virgil then lines out what's ahead, the violent, and all of those types, and then he comes to what's down in lowest hell, which is fraud. And Virgil defines fraud in two different ways. And let's just talk about the first way, because that's what we're about to encounter, the first division of fraud. Back there in Canto 11, at line 52, Virgil says, people can use fraud by which every conscience is chewed up against someone who trusts them and against the ones who have invested no trust in them. The method of the latter cuts only the bond of love that nature makes. Thus, in the second circle is nested, that is, the second circle of three down, or where we are now, the eighth circle of hell. In the second circle is nested hypocrites, flatterers, and magicians, counterfeiters, thieves, and simoniacs, panderers, barreters, and similar garbage. Virgil lines out who's going to kind of be in the eighth circle of hell. He misses several categories here, and this is not the order in which we are going to encounter them. This might show us, might, a supposition here on my part, might show us that the poem is in process. I think this is very hard for me to accept, and it may be hard for you to accept. Medieval poems are largely in process as they're being written. Rewriting skills such as Faulkner or Virginia Woolf practice are not available to medieval writers. And so as they use the expensive elements of writing, they are having to work this thing out as they move forward in it. You can't just cut and paste in a medieval document, right? You can't, it's not just as easy as doing it on your laptop. This is expensive stuff. And so that Virgil lines out what's ahead, the next three circles, the violent, and then this kind of fraud that only cuts the bonds of love that nature makes, as opposed to a more complex fraud that cuts a bond of trust between two individuals. So this is kind of, a, as the commentators often say, a simple fraud that we're about to encounter. The, as Virgil lines this out, we can see that Dante is starting to think as the poet behind the scenes about what will be included down here, but it's going to change dramatically. And I think we can see that change already starting in the very opening lines of Canto 18. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's just come back to the word malabolcia for a minute. Evil pouches, I connected it to the users. I've talked about Canto 11, but let's just say something about this eighth circle to Malabolcha. It runs all the way from here, Canto 18, all the way out to Canto 30. We are going to be here in the eighth circle of hell for a very long time. The eighth circle of hell, fraud, takes up 38% of Inferno. That surely indicates something to us about, one, the poet's speed. He's slowing down the poem because he's got more space. Two, the poet's interest in fraud as a 
basic problem of human relations. And three, and this is always going to be my issue, the way fraud connects to a dishonest way of writing. But we'll get to all of that. Let's just go back to the opening of Canto 18. There's a specific spot in hell called the evil pouches. All the rocks are the color of iron, just like the circle that encloses it all inside. At the exact center of this malignant campo, think Siena and that big campo in Siena, a very large and deep pit gapes wide. I'll talk about its design, Suoloco. Barolini, the great Tantista, says of this opening, especially of the first tercet, that it is, and this is quoting her, crisply informative, explicitly introductory, and patently devoted to differentiation. In other words, we seem to have come over a hump and to start the poem again. Remember we had that moment amongst the angry at the river sticks in which the poem seems to stop and then back up and start again. This seems a different kind of restart. In this case, this is the first time we've ever had a long descriptive passage before we even get back to the plot. If you think about the passage I read here, we have this long description of the eighth circle of hell, and then we finally, at the very end of this in lines 19, 20, and 21, all the way down there, we finally are back to the plot of Garion shaking them off his back, and and they're starting to walk along this ridge line, or along this little um, circular belt line that runs alongside the first of the pouches. This is the first time we've come to an opening like this, in which there seems to be almost a, here's a modern word, objective point of view. There's a specific spot in hell called the evil pouches. And you should know that the first words here are luogo e, there is, place is, place is in the Florentine. And it's an actually an exact translation of a Latin trope, locus est, place is. In other words, there is, there's a place, locus est, a specific spot that is. And it's interesting that Dante chooses to use a Florentine translation of this Latin as well as ending the passage with a Latin phrase. I'll talk about its design, suo loco, in its own place. And suddenly this Latin is dropped inside this passage. Interesting that in that, then Dante coins a word, malabolge, which is very low and very uh, evil pouches. It's very low and stinky and vulgar kind of in its tonality. While Barolini is right that there is a crisply informative, explicitly introductory and patently devoted to differentiation tone to the opening three lines, what happens here is that we keep vacillating between a Latinate or more objective or a higher form of writing and a very low form of writing like the word evil pouches. And this will play out throughout the eighth circle of hell. We're going to be here at the eighth circle in a kind of uneasy balance between classical formalism and, for lack of a better word, Florentine vulgarism for a very long time. And we can already see it 
with this translation of locus est, with the Latin dropped into the passage from the narrator's voice, with the neologism here used, and by a little word that you may miss in that opening line, there's a specific spot in hell called the evil pouches, deto, called. This little word is extraordinarily important because <laughs> called by whom? Especially since the next word, malebolge, is a Dantean neologism. It's not called that by anybody but Dante. Dante is the only one who ever could call it this because he made up the word. Nobody's called this this uh, malebolge evil pouches before. Dante's making up a word, and that little word detto, oh, so much hangs off of it because it establishes the reality claim for the place, despite the fact that the poet made up the very name of this place itself. It just establishes it as if this is foregone conclusion. Well, you know, next time you're walking across hell, you'll notice there's a place called, it would be like if I said to you, um, there's a place called Arches National Park in Utah. Well, of course there is. You know there is. There's this place, Arches National Park. You can go to it outside of Moab. But what if I made something up? What if I said, there's this place in Utah called Evil Sewer National Park? little word called is going to automatically make you think, wait, is there such a place? There's no such place. What do you mean there's a place called? Called by whom? You're making that up, aren't you? My point, my long point here all around the back is that we're not very far from Garion and the Beast of Fraud. And writing is itself a kind of fraudulent activity, especially when you're making up the afterlife. But we will talk about this endlessly as we proceed through the eighth circle of hell. So let's just go on in the passage. The part that remains, that is, after you get out of this pit at the bottom, the part that remains, this belt, is round and runs between the pit and the foot of the high hard cliff. So what you have here is essentially an inverted castle motif. You have this wall of the cliff that Garion has has flown them down. You have a little ring that runs around it and the first of the ditches, and they all go downhill until they hit a campo, which is an empty, vast, gross, deep center of it. You see, this is an inverted castle because, first of all, it's going down. For most castles, you go up. And secondly, the wall is on the outer rank. Usually, you cross over moats until you get to the walls of the castle. So this is all kind of upside down and inverted and twisted notion of a medieval castle. And it's coming down this high, hard cliff to the ground. It's divided into 10 valleys. These are the pouches. Like that spot where to guard the walls, the poem goes on, more and more moats are dug around a castle so that all those rings form a pattern. Well, that's how these rings were fashioned. And just as from the doorsteps of a castle, little bridges run out to reach the farthest embankment, so reef-like ridges ran from the base of the cliff 
that Gary and his flown them down, on down across the banks and ditches until they came to the pit and joined together. So you've got, you've got you think about it, concentric rings going down these pouches, and you've got ridges, reef-like stone ridges that are going across them all the way down. And you know, if you're you've got concentric circles going down toward a center pit, they're going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And as they get smaller and smaller and smaller, those ridges that are running down them are going to get closer and closer together. You know what this looks like? It looks like a spider web. And that is very important because back in Canto 17, in just the Canto we came out of, we had a reference to Arachne. This is such Dantean technique to set something up before it happens. Remember when we get the description of Garion's body and it says both arms were hairy from the armpits down. Its back, chest and both hips were painted with knots and whorls. No embroidery or weaving was ever made with that much color by Tartar or Turk, nor did Arachne ever make something like that on her loom. There's that spider motif, Arachne, and the weaving of the web. And this thing looks not only like an inverted, perverted, torque, twisted castle, it also looks like a big spider web. And you should think instantly, not only that Dante is pretty brilliant setting this up with a reference to Arachne beforehand, but two, fraud and spider webs getting caught, getting caught in what you can't see, getting caught in this gossamer thing that's only visible in certain light, maybe with dew on it, and it will trap you and pull you in and hold you there because surely that's what fraud does. Surely that is an extraordinarily good description of fraud and that fraud ruins medieval society. That is, it turns the castle inside out. It makes the walls be the farthest part out. It makes where the castle should be a pit. Fraud inverts the social order, and it's also a web that you can get caught in. But let me say one more thing about this kind of spiderweb pattern of reef-like ridges running toward a compo that is actually a pit. Esselin, in his translation, is at some pains to tell us that this is a natural landscape. And I believe Esselin must get this from Mandelbaum's commentary, because Mandelbaum is at some pains to say this is a natural landscape. Fair enough. These are reef-like ridges. There's rocks everywhere. It's rocks constructed to look like something. Okay, fair enough. But the important thing for me is, while it may be a natural landscape, because of the way the ridges will arch over the pockets, because of what this thing looks like from up above, after all, we're getting this objective viewpoint where we're looking down on it, like down on a spider web. All of that says to us that this is constructed. It may be rock ridges. It may not be wooden bridges the way we think of construction, but we are moving out of the natural, unnatural landscape of the seventh circle and into what I think is a constructed landscape 
of the eighth circle. Let me explain that for just a second. The seventh circle of the violin had this weird natural, unnatural torque to it. That is, there was a forest of the suicides. It's a forest. It's kind of a natural landscape, but there are harpies sitting up in those trees. The, the wood itself is gray and nasty. The foliage is nasty looking. We come out onto the burning sands. That looks like something in the natural world, and yet it's snowing fire, which makes no sense. So, it's this weird, natural, unnatural combo that makes up the seventh circle of the violin. In the eighth circle, it strikes me as important to see it as constructed in the way that fraud is constructed. Now, I don't mean necessarily that fraudsters built this landscape. No, in fact, this landscape had to be built, of course, by God, built for the fraudsters, but it is nonetheless more like a construction, and thus it is a fitting place to put fraudsters because they construct the world in certain ways. They attempt to reconstruct the world mostly in order to make money. So I think it's very important to see this landscape as laid out, as as fashioned, as created. Of course, the seventh circle is created. Of course, it was created. All of hell is created. We know that from the very gate of hell, that it was created. Divine love moved and made it. However, this looks more fabricated. And while Esalen is right, these are rock-like ridges, not wooden bridges as we would expect in the Middle Ages. Still, the overall look is of something fashioned. And now let's talk about the last three lines of this passage. In just this locale where Garion shook us off his back, we found ourselves. The poet then held to a leftward course, and I followed behind him. In other words, we're back to the plot. We've come out of this rather, to use this modern word, objective description of what this circle of hell looks like. And now we've come back to the point where they've left Garion and they start in normal fashion to the left, normal except for those two times they turn right. Be that as it may, they set out in the normal fashion along this little belt that runs between the high cliff and the first pouch, and there they go in their normal way with the guide first, the poet first, Virgil first, and then our pilgrim following. But you should know that although we're back to the plot, the poetry of Inferno 18, Canto 18, where we are now, and subsequent cantos is becoming much more complicated. The passage that I just read you is tough to translate. Clauses, participles, verbal forms, strange locutions, insertions of prepositional phrases, inside of verbal patterns, it's becoming more elaborate. And while we're back at the plot, and the plot is, you know, what we expect, them walking on, we should nonetheless note that even in the English, I tried to give you this sense that the poetry itself, the very diction of the poetry, the words of the poem, the way they're put together is getting more complicated from here on out. The poet seems much more certain of his control, and we'll add this later, his adaptation 
of the Florentine language. His control is becoming more pronounced because in nine of the 13 cantos that make up the evil pouches, that make up the eighth circle of hell, in nine of the 13, each can- of those nine cantos, each will start with a proem, a preface poem. Here we get the proem that is the introduction to the entire circle. We're going to get all different kinds of proems in cantos 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 24, 26, 28, and 30. The poem, and this is a fancy literary term, is growing more self-conscious. It is becoming more a poem in which the poetry is foregrounded. And a poet who can use a poem to start off a narrative sequence is automatically trusting his or her art more. If I simply started this, I, as if I were writing it, you know, we got off Garion's back and the poet went to the left and I went on behind him. If we started right there at the plot, we would, of course, be in the more simpler understanding of how poetry can operate as a narrative landscape. But by adding this large, for lack of a better word, objective, proem on the front of it about what the eighth circle looks like, we now know that the poet is trusting himself to have a vision of what's ahead. Not all of these proems will be descriptive. Some of them will be prophetic. Some of them will be discursive, but they're all going to start these cantos. There are two ways to look at this. I, of course, am arguing for the self-consciousness of the poem. That is, that the poet is more sure of his art and he's more self-conscious of it. You can also argue, and this is a much more complicated point, that the bulk of the cantos of fraud start without the plot, or if you want to put it complicatedly, start fraudulently. That is, start at a place that is not the poem itself moving forward, but that instead is the poet's concerns, the craftsman's concerns, is concerned with the poetry rather than what we all want to know, which is who's down in this ditch. And to know that, you got to subscribe to this podcast and come back next time because we're going to hit the ditch and we're going to hit more than just the ditch. We're going to hit our first traditional demons in this ditch, which is all ahead on the podcast Walking with Dante. So subscribe, like this podcast, give it a rating. That would be great. And if you would, check out my new memoir, Bookmarked, How the Great Works of Western Literature About My Life. You can find a link right in this player to it, or you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can even find an audio book of it. Oh, that's out in a week and a half, and I'm reading that audio book. Come back for the next episode of Walking with Taze. I'm Mark Scarborough. See you then. Bye.